Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Welcome to Crunch Time for Red Rooster. Seize the cheese. Try the new triple cheeseburger today. Limited time, so getting fast. The Rooster's calling. And for the new Navara at Werribee, Western and Footscray Nissan. Hand pass to Shepard and further to Red New. Kicks to Cripps, who decides to play on. He puts it long towards Allen! Oh, oh Allen's climbed over the head of Roughhead and dragged down a big mark just when the Eagles needed it. They've turned it over on the wing, Collingwood. One last hurrah for the Eagles. It's long to oh. Allen! Oh, he's dragged down another mark. They are so potent up forward. And that's a heartbreaker for the Pies. Darling, who is right on the cusp here. One-on-one in the goal square. Uh, He wants to have a shot himself, I think. He kicks over the man on the mark. He's got it easily. It's a powerful kick that goes all the way. It's a shootout between Jack and Oscar. Jack's got four, and so is Oscar Allen. There's a siren. West Coast get their third win of the year. Collingwood can't repeat last year's heroics comprehensive in the end from the West Coast Eagles. It was a good battle. Uh, geez, our crowd helped, you know, having 55,000 uh, supporters. I mean, we've got to get better away from home, but to come home and play in front of that crowd, and it was a, it was a really good atmosphere for the players. And uh, our good was brilliant, and our bad was a bit scratchy. Led by a couple of big forwards revelling in the defensive departure of Darcy Moore, the West Coast Eagles methodically put away the plucky pies. Liam Duggan to join us. When you lose a couple of games that you're in winning positions, that, that hurts. You've, you've got to make the most of the positions you put yourself in, round three and round four, potentially. But now the win-loss is, is where, it, where it stops. You know, at the end of home and away, that's all that really will count. So we've, um, we've got some wins to chase to, um, to put ourselves back to where we want to be. Evidence of sinking internal spirit and player unrest was absent as Collingwood guts it out in the WA Cauldron. There's a bit to unpack with Anzac Day next on their agenda. Benici was trying hard all day, but the siren sounds, and Brisbane celebrate. They're into their third grand final. The road to the AFLW Premiership once again winds through the City of Churches to the Adelaide Oval next Saturday. Right here, the Crows will chase an historic 
Third title. Now, it starts with the coach. It's time that our president, CEO, comes out and says a review. I'm disgusted, mate. Like, I just can't believe what like, that type of football. Stop, start football. Uh, you're going to love footy. The AFLW Grand Finals are not too far away. Injuries are rising. Rookies are debuting. Players are retiring. A legendary recruiter calls it a day. And what to make of those Saints? The natives are certainly restless, and it's only round five. There's heaps to work through. This is Crunch Time. Everybody, welcome to the show. Great to be here on another magnificent uh, Saturday afternoon here in Melbourne town. A load to look forward to today in terms of the footy 2B play. Kicked off with the AFLW Grand Final. A couple of games to talk about and a heap of issues to dissect. Jared Waitley still taking a break in him, filling in for him. In the meantime, we're ready to go. Let's welcome the crew. Justin Lepich, good afternoon to you. Oh, good morning to you, I should good say. Good morning, Andy. How are you? You well? I'm very well, thank you. Had a good week. Craig Jennings is with us as well. Good to see you again, mate. Good morning, Andy. Good morning, everybody. We'll get to Sammy Edmund in a moment with your breaking bits and pieces. How are you, mate? You I'm good? Very good. Thank you, Andrew. So good before, to be here. Before you dive in on the two or three things that are part of your agenda, to the men flanking me on my left and my right, Give me your 30-second takeaway from last night. What did you make of it, Lepper? Well, the takeaway is that Collingwood have still got some hunger in what they do, and they're going through a bit of a bad luck patch to me. Um, their numbers are similar to what they've produced the last <laughs> few years, so that's not stark in any way, shape, or form, and the way they're played the same. So I can see why people are saying they're a bit vanilla at the moment, but, geez, they've lost some personnel from the draft trade last year and, and now just through injury. Yeah, I really liked what I saw from Collingwood last night. I liked what I saw from the box. I liked the imagination with Morford. They clearly got some issues at that end of the ground, and I, I thought they were creative in in trying to find solutions for that part of the ground. So um, there was a bit to like with Collingwood last night, although I think they've got a fair bit of work to do. So there's a deeper dive into the game, but just give me your take before we get to you, Sam. Do, do, do they go again with Darcy Moore? Do they stick with that? Well, it's interesting. I really enjoyed uh, Buckley's press conference. So when Howe went down, I would have put Moore straight back into defence to try to win that game. Yep, yep. But clearly they've got a longer-term plan. Moore's clearly there for the next three or four weeks, and they're going to have a really good look at um, to see if that's going to work for them. But in terms of winning the game last night, I thought they needed to move um, more back into defence to shore up that area. But it was really clear, Buck's messages post-game, and I think that's the important thing that supporters uh, know what they're thinking. I, I think also last night the best opportunity for Collingwood to win was to play a more chaos-style game. You mm. think about Collingwood, their backs to the wall. Over there, I want to see a lot of contest, but great planning by West Coast. If you have a look at the first 10 minutes, they just kept the ball from them and just played that kick-mark game and, and bored them to death. And and I thought, well, if it's a game of skill, West Coast are clearly going to come out on top against Collingwood in a game of skill. But if it was a highly contested game, yeah. Collingwood were a chance, but they just couldn't get the game on their terms when it counted. So the more thing only has to be comfortable for Nathan Buckley and the Collingwood Brains Trust. As a great champion defender yourself, does it make sense to you? Is it, If Collingwood is going to be a team that contends this year, we know where they are now, one and four after five, 14th on the ladder, could be worse by the time the round's finished. Does it make sense to you, Lepper, that they keep rolling the dice with, with Darcy Moore for the next three or four weeks? I, I kind of like him in defence as a general rule, um, and then pinch it forward when need to be. And that pinch it might be within games if you need to. You, you think, well, we've got our defence in order, we just don't have that target. We'll throw him forward for bit, bits and pieces, and then pull him back because um, you can have real impact doing that. Because that also gets underneath underneath the opposition's planning, you know, and they're not sure when you're going to hit that move. But now everyone knows. 
They're going to watch Darcy from behind the goals. They're going to see how he's going to play. They're going to target him, and it's going to be harder and harder for him every week the more you play mm. that role from week to week. So I kind of like the idea he's using it as a pinch hit move. But, hey, everyone's a little bit different. It's going to be a big story, Sam. There'll be a lot of scrutiny on it. There'll be a lot of copy space given to it. There'll be a lot of dissection about it. It's going to be it'll be a very interesting watch, particularly if um, seeing whether they can hold the line if the results don't go their way. No, for sure. Absolutely. I think... It, the game just is so, as Leper would know and Craig would know, the game's so much different now to what it was. And Nathan Buckley, I think, made this point last night. The last time Darcy Moore played forward, the game was infinitely different, wasn't it? But I thought he competed really well, gave him something different. And Brody Grundy as well in the attacking 50 was, uh, he turned some heads early last night. It was night a slashing well. contest early, wasn't it? The, the, the fact that Grundy seized the initiative early and was working Nat Nui over. And we'll dive deeper into this, obviously. But then the way Nat Nui sort of worked his way back into the game, really dug in and, you know, grasped the nettle and really took it back to Grundy. It was a fantastic contest. Yeah, I love the ruck contest. And I learned so much uh, working alongside Greg Stafford and the work he did with uh, Maxi Gorn. And um, what I wanted to see early this year is just as the game, you know, with the new rules, just with the ruckman, I called it the ruck and roll, where you, you compete in the ruck and you either roll forward or you roll back. You you roll to the direction of the ground where you need to stabilise most. And I just thought it was a powerful um, planning by Collingwood. Now, Nathan Buckley, um, you know, anyone that's – you'll know this, Lepper. Anyone that's coached against him, you know he's a really good coach. And one thing he's really strong at is his pre-planning stuff. And clearly they had a plan – um, for Grunty yeah. to ruck and push forward. He's taken those couple of marks uh, with Moore down there and to go. They actually, and I think side bottom started there too from memory. So they had a fair bit of footy IQ down there and I thought it was pretty powerful early. Um, but I also agree with, with Leper. Some of these things, you want to catch the opposition coach's box by surprise and that element has now gone going forward. Yeah, I think we've, we've spoken about this at Dawes about Collingwood. Their bang for buck with their clearances has always been a bit of an issue for them. They, AFL one for hitouts with Grundy, AFL one hitouts to advantage, but AFL seventeen for scoring and and thirteen for clearances. So that that tap and even the tap that's going to advantage isn't going through the goals at, at any point. Mm-hmm. So that would be a when you dominate such a part of the ground and also don't get the result. As I said, the turnover game's a bit, you know, hit and miss at the moment. They're not getting scored against a lot. They're not scoring a lot, but it's that part of the game where they I think they're dominant, but they're not getting the bank for buck for it. Some fallout from the game, obviously, uh, on and off the field. There's some stories sort of swirling around the place, uh, and there's other bits and pieces that you're going to focus on throughout the show this afternoon, or this, for the rest of the morning and this afternoon. Uh, where are you going to be taking us? Look, before we get to the injuries for Collingwood, and there are a couple of those, unfortunately, the AFL Integrity Department, Andy, will ask the question of Collingwood around mobile phone use. Pertaining to Jordan to go in, Jeremy Howe, obviously during Collingwood's loss to West Coast last night. So those watching at home would have seen the Channel 7 cameras catch the go. getting his phone out during the game after he was ruled out with concussion. Yep. Not only his own phone, but getting Jeremy Howe's for him too and, and passing it to the defender. Now, AFL rule state mobile, mobile phones obviously can't be used in the rooms siren to siren for betting reasons and such. Now, each club, Andy, has an approved list of 10 Staff members, personnel, plus the media department who can use a phone during games. Players obviously aren't on that list. So not a hanging offence at this stage, but the AFL are going to ask the question and could in fact lead to a financial sanction for the club. I don't think the league would have liked the look of it on primetime television, the players going to grab their mobile phones. And it might be innocent enough. Yep. And I might just be whatever 
whatever the younger generation do these days. Can't live without, they can't live without them, can they? Like, well, they, they might have wanted can't. to. And for those saying, look, they were injured, they went off, they might have wanted to call loved ones. Well, that is exactly what the football manager has yep. approval to use the mobile phone for during the game. So the AFL didn't like it, Andy, and they're going to ask the question. Well, the fact that he was concussed, maybe he didn't realise the rules. <laughs> maybe that's what it was. And he can he go, forgot. well, hang on. I forgot that that was the rule. I was a little concussed. It so. feels a bit narky, the whole thing. But, I mean, you're, you've been in there, but you two have been in there as recently, and even at AFLW level, the, the protocols are absolutely strict and yeah. and strictly enforced. It's There's no grey about mobile phone usage on game day. Yeah, the moment you walk into the footy club you're, you're or to game day, your phone goes in a box and you don't see it again until post-game. And in the end, I just didn't even take my phone to the game. I just left it at work. But what's really interesting is... Through the AFL Level 4 program, which we're in our third year now, a lot of the first year was really around sports ethics and and gambling and the risks and all those sort of things. And um, I'm really surprised that a player has has done this. So I've got a feeling that the AFL will be – they won't be best pleased. No, they won't. I can see a a bit of a sanction coming – because there are risks associated with gambling and it has wrecked other sports and uh, the credibility of some other sports around the world. Um, and so you just you just don't want to see this happen. Mm. I'm not sure how they got their phones, to be yeah. honest, because mm. it goes into a, your own little pencil case almost and then into a bigger box. Um, and I assume that's been locked, it gets locked up by it's the integrity a, it's person. Supposed, it's supposed to. So yeah. I don't know how that box got unlocked or unless it's just stayed, it stays open and he just walked in himself and decided to open see, it. Yeah, you can see the box on the shot. The box yeah. is sitting on a bench in the rooms yeah. wide open. It's a big sort of briefcase it that, is, you yeah. know, with the foam inside that you put your phones in. And and at Carlton, that, that gets locked. It yeah. gets locked half an hour before the game and it mm. doesn't get unlocked until, you know, five or six minutes back in the rooms after, once you've returned after the game. So there's probably been a bit bit of an error from the from the gatekeeper at Collingwood f- to leave that box open in the first place. Yeah, I can guarantee this weekend there'll be a memo come out from the AFL and, and every uh, phone box will be locked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And the yeah. AFL are just so strong on this. And, you know, and they invest enormously, enormously in the Level 4 program and the sports ethics is just such a huge part of what we learn early on. What else is going around? Obviously, the injuries are going to be a significant issue, and there's other bits and pieces flying around out there. Yeah, we'll talk about Dugowie and how obviously Dugowie's going to miss Anzac Day. We know that. The nose is is the nose, but that's broken. But obviously, the concussion protocol state he won't play Anzac Day. Jeremy Howe apparently cleared from any damage to the knee, but the hamstring will be scanned shortly, so they'll have a better idea on that. Clearly, the defender's going to miss some football. We'll talk capacity a little bit later in the show because next week is a massive week, speaking of Anzac Day, yep. with the government and the health department and what that might mean for all of us going to the football. And I think all the members listening this morning probably just want to sit in their own seats for a change. So that's a big issue. We'll get to that as well. Stephen Wells as well. Didn't that jump off the page this week as well? His sudden departure from the Cats. We'll run the rule over that. A bit more happening behind the scenes there. But I wanted to talk about North Melbourne quickly, Andy. They have got the daunting trip down the hallway to close out round five, obviously, uh, on Sunday twilight against the Cats. They could be making that trip without their young gun, Luke Davies, Uniac, who... Good chance he'll be a late withdrawal with a calf issue as well. So it's just what they don't need. It is indeed. And you do feel for for the youngster because obviously he only played the nine games last year. He had the Mm. uh, the groin issue as well. Hopefully this is only minor, but I'm told a real chance to be a laid out Luke Davies Uniac with a calf. Okay, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, Liam Duggan's going to join us after the break so we can spend a bit more time focusing on the winners from last night then. The reality now for Collingwood is they're one and four. That that is the baseline. Are they are they a one and four team? Are they? Where have you got them pegged right now, Leper? Are they? 
Have you still got them contending for a spot in the eight? Are they still that for you? Uh, with the injuries that are starting to toll, I'm probably thinking that's going to be harder for them. Um, if, if they had their full list in place and they're only very close, and I still think they're performing okay given what they've got. Yep. Um, but is that enough to make the eight? Probably not at this point in time. You know, they need to if they get those soldiers back and they start to play a little bit more consistently, you get a little bit more faith back in them. But yeah, since the off season moves and with these few injuries, you start to think, well, maybe can they get their best team on the park for long enough? I'm a big believer in having the same team out there for for at least a month at, at a time till you play at your best. So they need to get that, and sometimes it takes a while to get to that. What do you think? Yeah, I think they're in a little bit of, of trouble, and I just see this as the life cycle. So. Um, you know, through my shows, through weight segments, through Waitley and, and so forth. I'm a big supporter of Nathan Buckley. I'd be having a look at the team around me. I think there's some improvements they can do with their match day decision making. But what's interesting to me is that historically, at the end of the home and away season, two teams that finish fifth to eighth fall out and two teams that finish usually around ninth to 15th come in. And last year, St Kilda at the end of home and away were sixth and Collingwood were eighth. Right. And so you're going into this season, they're two of the teams that I identify that are under risk that um, a lot needs to go right. They need to be aware of it. And two teams come in. And for me, those teams at the moment look like Melbourne and Sydney and, and Brisbane's the one with an asterisk. So you got, they've got to get well, get on with it there's in two hurry. teams in the top four, Brisbane and Geelong, that we probably sit yeah. there and go, Geez, they're both not playing like top four teams. Um, not saying we'll, they'll slip out of the eight altogether, but you start to think that, you know, let's hope they stay in the bottom half of the eight, almost how they're playing at the moment. But as we know at Geelong, they get better with every week. So danger back, they'll start to play better and better. But yeah, you, you just see those early signs and you think, Geez, are they are they a top four team as well? Yeah, I feel like Brisbane, you know, we spoke with Danny Daly a, a few weeks ago and he was really highly regarded in terms of his strategy, worked at a number of footy clubs. I know you worked with him, Leper. Now, he left that strategy position to go to a football management position. And there was just some things around the new rules that I think Brisbane have been caught a little bit short on, uh, one of them being the kicking rule that we might talk about a little bit later on. But there were some things with their strategy, I thought. Uh, they haven't come into the season very well planned compared to some other teams. So uh, I expect good things from Brisbane. I think they'll bounce back um, starting is it tonight their game? Mm. Um, yeah. So I yep. think Brisbane will be okay, but um, you know there's some learnings in that for them in terms of their strategy, and every year you need to start again. As you sit now going to Anzac Day next week and you're squaring up and you're doing your prep for Collingwood, what worries you? What scares you as an opposition when you're, when you're looking at Collingwood right now? Well, I think it's their, their stoppage work. and, and sort of. I guess there's two things you've got to do. You've got to blunt the one wood of the opposition, the one strength, yep. and then expose what you think you can expose for them. So you blunt Brody Grundy and that stoppage work and, you, and keep that scores from stoppage nice and low. You think, well, we've got the speed on the outside. If we get the ball in quick and play dirty ball inside 50, we can get some scores. But they, they still are a difficult team to score a lot against. But um, they're the two things you'd be sort of working on or managing. Yeah, I feel like this has been a, a couple of years in the making. I think um, when teams focus on defence solely, I like the game to be played in balance and um, defence, contest, offence or attack, they're all equal and, and your game plan needs to support all three. But all the language out of Collingwood last year was defence, defence, defence. And what I feel like is that players get really desensitised to it and really bored by it. I think, yes. play, I think, players, <laughs> I think players, when they know they're a chance to win and win premierships, they buy into defence. But in the meantime, you need balance. And I think they went so far defensively, they forgot how to move the football. And then as part of that, 
they're really struggling, um, you know, most of last year, I guess, but also this year. So I think um, they need to have a look at some stuff around the decision-making in the coach's box, but I think they need to get in a, a strategy or a ball movement uh, expert over the summer. And who says you can't get a consultant in during the year? There's a lot of coaches on the sidelines uh, through COVID and so forth, Leper being one by choice, but you can get people in to have a look at your program for a few weeks. Because coaching's all about a hunger for learning and it's about what's next and improving all the time. So everything that's happening at Collingwood is extremely normal. So you don't throw everything out, but you, you get some experts alongside that can help you in your areas that you need to improve. Yeah, that, that call about defence being boring, it's so true. I'm, I'm after coaching defence for a long period of time at the Tigers, but I would say to the boys, okay, who's here? Who got recruited because you were so elite at manning the mark? You know, <laughs> like, who was so good at just sort of standing there with a stalking stance and yeah. wanting to cut balls off? You know, is that why you were drafted? There was not one person that yeah. puts their hand up. So, right, it's a learned behaviour. And it's something you've got to add to your game, but also make it fun because it is. I said, this is boring. I said, but why I want you to do it well is so that you have the, the ball in your hands more. But if you don't do defence well, you're going to be running side to side and forward and backwards all day long. So do it well once. You may not have to do it again, but if you don't do it well the first time, well, you're going to have to do it again and again and again, and you'll spend the whole game running in defence, which who wants to do that? <laughs> Nobody. Hey, we've got to get to a break. William Duggan to join us in a moment. We can get back to this. Later. Just one last, Sam, the, the, the Tom Morris story during the week where players were named alongside player unrest, you know, uh, perhaps a softening to the Buckley message. You know, we, we all read the story. Some took it on board more than perhaps others did. Some of us watched last night to see whether there was any evidence of that. Didn't appear to be any from my perspective. Now, that's not having to go at Tom Morris. Just the evidence last night yeah. wouldn't have supported that claim. No, it wouldn't. We can only go on what we see. And what we saw, as, as Craig touched on, was an improved effort physically. They rolled their sleeves up. They had a crack, to use the, the age-old yeah, term. Yeah. But the things that Tom wrote are the things that have been being beaten on the jungle drums for a while now. But to, to make of that what you will, because we can only go on what we see, can't we? So what do you journos play dirty pool every now and again? What, oh, please explain. Oh, no one likes the coach. Or, oh. you know, there's unrest. No and one. all these general words <laughs> that try and put wedges between coaches and players. What do you guys do that? I don't think we try to put a wedge between coaches. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We only go on what we're told through the phone calls that we make and the people that we who? speak to. Player managers? Without knowing exactly who Tom, in fact, without knowing who Tom's spoken to mm. at all, mm. okay. these are things that people are saying, Leper. Okay. Justin. Just people? Them? Well, they're they, people. They. 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 Okay. They. Right. right. Liam Duggan's about to join us on the other side. But we are the... nothing if we don't protect our sources. <laughs> I will say that. There you go. Hey, you're listening to Crunch Time. Great to have your company this morning. And it's all thanks to the new Navarro, Werribee, Western and Footscray Nissan. Welcome back to the show. Uh, we spent a bit of time talking about the pies, and we'll get back to them a bit later on. We've held the West Coast chat for our next guest, who was part of the system that, after quarter time, really started to hum nicely and controlled the game for the last three quarters. And it's only players who know the way that their coach wants them to play. Liam Duggan is one of those, and he was right in the middle of it last night, one of the very best West Coast Eagles over there at Perth Stadium, and he's been good enough to join us on Crunch Time. Hey, Liam, thanks for joining us, mate. Congratulations on the win last night. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me, boys. 
Um, what did you have to do at quarter time? They obviously came at you pretty hard in that first quarter. We knew we were going to get a response from Collingwood over here. It's been a pretty big, big week for them. What was Simo's message at quarter time, and how did you just kind of have to work your way into the game to have it played on your terms? Yeah, obviously, uh, yeah, the Pies are under a fair bit of heat, and we, we sort of felt that over here as well. And um, to be honest, we were under a little bit ourselves, so um, we knew it was going to be a pretty fierce contest. And I think in the first quarter, the Pies were able to to get on top of us uh, in the contest and the pressure sense of the game. And um, at quarter time, it was a pretty simple message from Simo, and, and that was just to, to get on top in that area. And I think our mids did a good job at, at uh, getting that arm wrestle back on our side, and, and it helped our forwards. Um, get some scores on the board, and we're obviously really efficient when we go inside 50, so we just need to get it in there. Hey, Liam, Justin Leppich here. Well done. Uh, great win last night. Geez, a lot of the backs had a lot of the footy last night, you boys. You had it on a string. 123 oh, uncontested marks uh, for the game. AFL one uncontested marks. I assume that part of your game you train quite a bit. When that does break down, what are some of the things you try and work down when oppositions can take away that uncontested mark part of your game? Yeah, obviously last night it worked for us a little bit. It was uh, feeding the family down there a bit, which is um, which isn't always <laughs> going to be the case. Uh, sometimes they sometimes they're going to shut that down on us, and, and a lot of weeks they have um, in, in the past or in the, at the start of this season. Anyway, it's um, it's been taken away from us. But um, I suppose if that part of our game is shut down, then um, we just need to embrace the contest and, and sort of hand it over to our mids. It'll look a little bit more long and direct, and um, it's up to the tools up the ground and the mids to get it done and, and get field position and, um, as I said, get in, into our forwards and, and obviously they can do the job for us up there. So um, it's sort of, there's two styles of playing. I think contest is always going to come first, so you've got to embrace that, that side of the game. Liam, Craig Jennings here. Um, congratulations on your career so far. I think you've already punched out about 80 games, which is a really good start. Um, I'm really obsessed by goal kicking and accuracy. I think accuracy is the most important stat in football and um, I really admire the way West Coast have gone about that for a long period of time. Uh, can you take us a little bit behind the scenes to your training, Liam? I know you're a defender, but I imagine you're still part of a goal kicking program. But, the, you know, the amount of time that West Coast spend on their goal kicking throughout the week? Yeah, it's, it's massive, mate. Obviously, um yeah, we 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 uh, hold it in pretty high regard, and you need to. It's it's, um, it's probably the biggest part of the game, to be honest. And um, I, I think the the difference with our boys, or not the difference, but what they do is that they're just pros. And um, Josh Kennedy, I don't know how many shots a week he has, but it's um, it's more kicks than I'd have. Uh, just lacing them out in the in the back line and stuff like that. So he, he's constantly there, just trying every different kick. And Jack Darling's the same. And then they've got sort of Oscar Allen. Um, coming up underneath them and, and what great mentors they are for him. And, and we obviously saw um, some of the fruits of that last night and, and what a player he's going to be. So it's, it's just, it's time. They're, they're just always down there after training, before training. It's, um, it's just a lot of time and, and repetition. Yeah, one thing that Simo mentioned last night about the, I guess the two West Coasts, we can call it the home team and the, the away team. And obviously your record's not as stark as probably the Dockers um, coming to Melbourne, but how much work are you guys going to put into that going forward? You sort of put it on the agenda last night. Is it something that you guys are going to put extra focus into now? Uh, I think it's it's probably, yeah, I suppose in the back of our mind, there's probably going to be that extra focus on it. It's, um, this year, I suppose it's, we don't think we've been out of the games when we've, when we've travelled. Obviously, the Bulldogs game is quite close and went down to the wire. And then the first half against the Saints was, was really quality. We just we just couldn't do it in the second half. So the challenge for us is to bring it for four quarters over there. And, um, you know, it's obviously we've got Geelong this week, which is which is a tough road trip. And, and um, our history there hasn't been, been too great. But we haven't had too many opportunities to play there. So 
um, we hold no fear for the ground and, and all that sort of stuff. But it's, um, yeah, it's just that it's that four quarter mindset. Um, if we can bring that, we think that we'll we'll match it with anyone, especially on the road. Uh, Liam, you'll understand this question being a good country boy from Ballarat originally, I think, from memory. Uh, I was really surprised a month ago my son came home and said he wanted to wear the number 12 in the football season this year, and and I was racking my brain who that might be. And then he told me it was Oscar Allen. And um, I'm just wondering if you can give some insights into the way Oscar Allen goes about his football, because what I saw last night, the way he launches yeah. with his marking, like, um, you know, a little bit about his personality off field, but also the way uh, he goes about his training. Yeah, the, you know, the first thing you need to know about Oscar is he, he's loud. <laughs> um, he's, a, he's a loud character. He's very intelligent. Um, and I think that shows in his footy as well. He's able to transfer that onto the ground. And um, the best part about it is, as I said before, the mentors that he's got, to learn from in, in Kennedy and Darling is uh, two of the better forwards that um, that are going around and have been for the last 10 years. So um, he's, he's, a, he's a great player. He's a great bloke. And I think the best thing about him is he just attacks the footy and he wants to do the defensive things as well. We saw that tackle last night um, to get yeah. his first goal. But, um, yeah, he, he's just uh, he knows everything about our game plan. He, he, could, he could tell you it back to front and... Um, a, a great bloke, and he'd be a great leader for our footy club in the future too, I think. Oh, that's great. William, Sam Edmund here. Well done last night. Thanks a lot for your time this morning. I wanted to ask you about Willie Rioli, who's yeah. just about to reintegrate himself back into to Perth life after a, a long time up in the top end, of course. Obviously cleared to train on June 20 and available for selection on August 20. Have you, I don't, I'm not sure if you had a chance to catch up with, with Willie yet, but when do you think you'll be able to see him again? Yeah, I haven't seen Willie yet. I think he's, uh, I'm not sure when he comes back to Perth and then obviously June 20s uh, when he's allowed to train with us. But um, it's super exciting for us that, that we're going to have, yeah, Willie Riholi back in uh, back in the four walls and, and available for selection at the end of the year. And, um, you know, we, we feel he's done his time and, and we're just sort of, we're, we're ready for him to come back with open arms. So it's, uh, it's really exciting to have him um, coming back into Perth and then back into the footy club halfway through the year. And what is it, mate, about Dom Sheed and Collingwood? What's oh he got God. against the Pies? <laughs> don't know what it is. Yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's got it out from at the moment. But um, no, it, was a, it was a special special five minutes of footy there from Dom. And, um, yeah, he's obviously turned into a, to a quality player and, and he's, he's producing that sort of most weeks. If it's not three goals, it's um, it's a lot of the grunt work inside the midfield. So, um, yeah, he's, he's a great player and you stand a little bit taller with him doing that sort of stuff up forward. Liam Duggan's been good enough to join us here on Crunchon. Do you care much about stats, Liam? Are you a big stat guru? Do you have a look at your numbers, um, you know, when you when your day's done at the end of a game? Yeah, I, I, I'm not a big stats guru. I'll check it out just to see, more more to see how the blokes I've, I've played on have gone, just in case they uh, got away from me a little bit. But, um yeah, not not too big on it, but obviously last night it was a, a little bit different. You could feel that you had a little bit more of it, and um, the backs obviously, yeah, had a few more possessions than most weeks. But um, yeah, not too big on it, but just more to check the uh, check the other bloke. So, so last night, yeah, two hundred and ten more meters gained than any other player, the next best player on the ground. So, Leper's question to you before about you know, owning the ball and you know chipping across the back line, waiting for for a, for a crack to appear. For, you, do you have um, any? like a special license to take that kick is that is that what you're used for to you know when 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 the moment uh, arrives for you to go forward um you have the right to kind of pull the trigger when you when you see it yeah i think it's uh i suppose we'd say that most of the boys down there have the license i think the the difference with uh probably the smaller backs and the high half backs is that um the difference is we'll get a few handball receives and that sort of thing. Yeah, so right. although last night we, we went quite slow and it was um, probably looked a little bit methodical and 
you could hear the crowd getting a little bit frustrated at times as well with um with the amount of sideways and backwards kicking. But um, I suppose once you get into the uh, into the centre or in, in the bubble, um, you want to go quick and test out the back, and that's where sort of the, the metres gain can come into it. You get a couple of handball receives and and pump it long, and um, that's probably the license that, that us high half backs have got is to, to run to receive and make your forwards defend you. So that's that's probably where it comes into play. Liam, I'm really interested if you could take us into some of your meetings during the week. I'm a strong believer that you can win more games than not if you have a great fast start formula and if you know how to finish games. Now, with that loss to St Kilda, I think that there's some games that when you lose, they're so painful when you give up a lead like that, that it creates more wins later on. So can you talk us through the week and how much time you put into or or more time you've put in during the week around uh, how to hold a lead and how to manage close finishes and so forth? Yeah, I think uh, the big point about that, I suppose, and probably the learnings in the last couple of weeks is the clarity around um, what we're doing and, and our reviews and our preparation into teams. And I think Simo's got a really good gauge on, on I suppose, how the players are feeling and, and what we need week to week. So I think this week it was it was quite stripped back, to be honest. Obviously, we had the disappointing half against the Saints. And um, I think that everyone was sort of expressing that they needed a little bit of clarity and, and just some simple mindsets. And, and Simo is really good at just giving us those and um, it, it was basically contest and pressure and, and that's what we were able to bring up to probably quarter time. So, um, yeah, not much changes for us during the week, but uh, I think Simo and the coaches just have a really good gauge on, on what we need and, and that's really important, I think, to have that relationship with your players. Liam, Alex Witherden's game last night I thought was oh, terrific. I've got to ask him about um, this. Yeah. Yeah, 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 go on. Yeah, go on. <laughs> Obviously, Shannon Hearn, it's he's probably got a couple of weeks out anyway, but I'm just interested to see. It's always great when you've got an older guy sort of in his last year or two and a kid that looks like he's ready to go, but... Going forward, we've got, obviously, Luke Shuey come back, Elliot Yo, and also Shannon Hearn, and how he fits now into the long-term planning. I know it's difficult to answer as a player sometimes, this question, but how, how would he fit long-term into that uh, that back six or seven of yours? Yeah, I think with uh, it's, uh, it's pretty uh, obvious what he brings, and I think we saw it last night. There's not many blokes that can pull those sort of kicks that he can, and uh, we, we probably, as much as Bunga was missing on the weekend, we had Lewis Shedder as well leave us last year, and He's another boy that's just very creative off the off the back flank, and uh, no disrespect to uh, to the other backs, and I'm putting myself in this in this category as well. But we can't do that sort of stuff, um, mm-hmm. the stuff that he can do. So it's, I think it's important to have that playmaker off off the back flank, and obviously um, Bung is probably uh, coming into the night time of his career. But um, you know he, he's probably got Widow right under him, and he'll be able to give him his tutelage. And I don't think Widow. Shannon comes back, it doesn't mean that Widow leaves the team at all. I think it's um, it's just whoever's going to be in form at the time and, and all that sort of stuff. And it's a great problem to have for the coaches to have uh, multiple blokes to choose from. That's that's all right. And the last one for me is, is the mullet gone? What? Is <laughs> okay. it done? Is it dead? What have you done? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think it might be. I was a bit nervous. I got rid oh. of my powers. I hadn't really had the start of the year. <laughs> I would have liked. Um, last year got me got me back on the board a little bit. Uh, last night got me back on the board a little bit, but. Um, yeah, I don't think we'll see it see it for a little while. Although I've got a little sort of little just short shorten the sides up, left of the back a little bit last haircut. So we'll see what happens. I uh, I won't give you a definitive answer. I got just I've got one follow up from the Witherden question. Should and this is just between us. We won't mention this to Alex, but should uh, a kick when you walk out of the goal square returning the footy after a behind should that count as a stat? Oh, uh, yes, I'm yes. I yes. Think okay, there you go. <laughs> 
that sounds like yeah, a bloke who's going to get. That's going to. It sounds like a bloke who's going to get his share of kickings as well. Hey mate, well, <laughs> well, 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 well played last night. It was uh, it was a pretty comprehensive win in the end, and uh, all the very yeah, catch next week. I think so. Uh, all the very best, mate. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, fellas. Cheers, Good on your loom, Doug, and joining us here on Crunch Time. Indeed, you are listening to Crunch Time on a Saturday morning. All thanks to the Werribee Western and Footscray Nissan dealerships. Test drive the new Nissan Navara today. And for Red Rooster, seize the cheese. Try the new triple cheeseburger today. Limited time, so get in fast because the rooster's calling. Great to have you with us this Saturday uh, morning. Uh, a lot of footy to look forward to here right across the day. I've got a question I want to ask you to you three bucks about uh, the West Coast Eagles before we get off them. But a text has come through, and I just need to read this out. I'll address this to Sam and, and you, Craig, and maybe the other bloke can <laughs> comment if he wishes. Uh, no name attached. Is there anyone better on radio than Leper right now? I think not. Numerous mates agree. Listening to Leper, have a listen to this, is like listening to Kenny G's greatest hits. <laughs> you just sit back, relax, and take it all in. Best thing to happen to sports radio. Kenny G's greatest hits. Wow. Wow. Well, I can't you? sing, by the way. No, so no. I'm not even he wasn't a singer. He just... What did he play, the clarinet or the saxophone or something? Is that Jared Wheatley? Who was it from? I don't know who said that. (laughs) (laughs) I've worked with Leper twice now, and we've never met, have we? Actually, we played against each other in the uh, under-18s, but you won't remember that. Um, Uh, um, (laughs) I'm lucky to remember four months ago. (laughs) But uh, very, very – obviously, we have 15, 20 minutes, half an hour before the show. Very, very high footy IQ, and and I know he's doing a great job here, but if clubs aren't – don't have him on the radar to get him to a footy club oh, next don't year. Don't worry about that. It's the, crazy. it's the velvety voice. It's the velvety voice that people are craving for. It's the velvet sledgehammer. Yeah. Well, he's go. not scared to have a crack at the journal, so he's got 90% yes. of the public on side. <laughs> spot on. Just one follow-up from um, the chat with Liam Duggan. Does it feel like West Coast is a an eight-cylinder car that, um, Here we go. that doesn't push itself to the limit that often? The way they, they're so controlled – the way they, they play their footy. I just look at their score, 103 points last night, 82, 108, 93, 83 this year. That's been their points. Not, not bad numbers, pretty good numbers. But I, I, you look at their forward line, you look at Nick Natanui, you look at the way they can take ball out of clearance, you look at the way they can re- – the ball users they got out of the back line. Admittedly, they've got two or three good players out at the moment. They look like a team that should be scoring or could be scoring 120, 125, 130-plus routinely. Yeah, it probably is linked into their uncontested mark game. Mm. So if you do manage the ball in your back half a bit more, you're not going forward as much as, say, a Richmond would. Yep. So they're the highest team for scoring when they do get in there. So it's almost like they try and manipulate you behind the ball and then they see that opening and then they've just gone. So when they go in, they're going in nice and clean and with some unbelievable talent as well. But Hawthorne's very similar at the moment anyway. Hopefully they... We'll look to sort of speed it up a little bit. They, they're also trying to manage the back half. So when they go in, they score, but they're just not going in nearly as, as much as West Coast. What I feel about West Coast is match day Adam Simpson is off the charts. So he's just so intelligent with his stoppage work. And they'll just do a really subtle positioning move that can really change the look of the game. So he's just so hard to coach against. Um, really high IQ. Now, one of the things I don't like about West Coast, because I rate them super highly, is they have so many broken tackles. So it might be a philosophy where, um, you know, they prefer to guard a little bit of space and, and corral and so forth. But if you have a look last night, you know, they miss a lot of tackles 
But what they did in the year they won it, which was uh, 2018, mm. um, you know, they were really low for contested footy. But what he does is he just doesn't overcommit, you know, 8, 10, 12 players at the football. He has them spread around the ground and so forth. But once they got to that final series, then they did lay tackles and lay big ones. So I think he just, Simo, just knows how to plan a season and plan a system. Yeah, and I think the one area for me, and it's been stark for them for a while, is their AFL 2 intercept marking in the competition, but 18 on the ground. So if you can get to, if you can spoil McGovern, if you can spoil yeah. Barras and get it to ground, you can score. So they don't have like a little Liam Baker that can sweep up a ground level, um, bump a few off, and then get their hands out. Jaden Shaw. So Richmond have a bit of a different balance with their defence, whereas West Coast are more intercept mainly. They want to intercept uncontested, mark their way in, and score first go. So that's their one ward, and they do that really well. My one concern is if that first mark doesn't happen, if McGovern doesn't mm. mark it, if Barras doesn't mark it, if Hearn doesn't mark it. What's the second part for them? I just I love Gary Lyon's point about do you kick ground balls in now? Mm. Uh, listeners will probably remember. I think it was around 2016, 17 or so, for, or somewhere around there. And um, Port Adelaide actually beat West Coast mm. unexpectedly, but it was a pretty wet night, and they were heating up a little bit short, and then kicking ground balls and low balls in, and they beat them um, as underdogs from memory. And I watched that and just thought, if you play against West Coast and you're a limited chance of winning, you know they're the better team, then I'm, I'm all for kicking some of those lower, lower footies in. Now, if you've, if you've got an evenly matched team, then you don't change your game style. But I'm pretty big on just making small adjustments to your game style to take away an opposition strength. Why, why don't we see that sort of stuff happen more often? The chaos ball, the kick, it, like the scunge, the footy. If you've got a channel in front of you, don't well, the, kick it up in the air. Thump it the along ga- the ground. This, this kick mark game style is the game style that Damien Hardwick says or suspects isn't sustainable. He well, put in, it on the in Melbourne in winter. Right after the Sydney game. You know, yeah. The difference yeah. between a dry day in Perth is very rare you get a horrible day. And even if it rains on that ground, it's still probably not bad conditions. But mm. you come to a windy, wet Melbourne, it's a, that's why it's a very different game style um, to do it, and it's more risky playing it at a Melbourne venue in winter than it is a drier pre-season type condition game. How big? Uh, you asked Liam Duggan the question about Oscar Allen. How big are we on his upside? Well, it was interesting because uh, it's a bit of a funny story, I guess. When my son came home and said he was wearing the number 12, I was like, I, I don't think so. Uh. Um, you'll be in the Jakey Melksham, you know, Essendon 17 or Melbourne 18. Um, but he just loves him. So I started paying attention and, and I want him to be a good citizen. He's a role model. And I couldn't believe what I saw last night. Just he's, um, you'll know better than anyone, Leper, his craft when he's launching at the footy. And, and Liam mentioned about his follow-up work and his tackling and, 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 you know, Kennedy and Darling are both strong in those areas yeah. too. So Liam said he's got good role models around him, but I've been blown away by what I've seen. And he's lucky enough to have two really good yeah. leaders around him and, and guys can take the heat off him. So he's not going into a North Melbourne with not much around him where he's going to get the best defender. He's probably going to get the second, possibly third uh, yeah. on the day. So he's growing his career nicely in the, in a good team. She had significant influence on that contest early last night. In fact, in fact throughout the night last night, he was... A very influential player. Hey, throughout the season, uh, we're going to be counting down the most unbelievable moments in footy history for Furphy Refreshing Ale. Unbelievable. So we're going to go around the table. Just, it doesn't have to, any any memorable moment, unbelievable moment that you've got from the history of the game. Somebody mentioned Dom Sheed earlier uh, in the chat. Well, I think probably a few of us have mentioned his name already, but... That goal against Collingwood in the 18 grand final, that probably has already stamped itself as an unbelievable moment in footy history, I reckon. Have you got – I'll start with you, Lepa, and let's go around the table. Just, just give me one. 
Oh, miracle on grass, Ash McGrath. That's That'll probably yeah. 40 oh. points behind at three-quarter time and then finish it over the siren. That's, that's you probably nice. don't get a better finish than that, do you, to a game of footy? Oh, that's pretty sweet. The definition of unbelievable is the lights going out at Waverley in 96. I was and, there. And, and there's fires on the ground if you I don't want total oh, anarchy. That is unbelievable. Not. That's, a, that's, that's a no-brainer. More left field. The Harry Taylor handshake for mine can, just <laughs> makes me giggle, uh, Andy. Every time it's brought up, Josh Jenkins, the ham food poisoning. He plays a full game with a slice of ham in the sock. It's unbelievable. Only to get it out and shake hands with a bemused uh, jerker Jenkins after the game. That, for me, remains one of the classic unbelievable moments. That's an unbelievable <laughs> story. That is a dead set unbelievable story. Yeah, I look back on my life and just feel so fortunate that uh, for 20 years I was able to watch about 100 games a year and be paid to do so. And um, But when you ask that question, I just go back to my memories of footy when I was a youngster. And, um, you know, I can't remember. I might have been seven, eight or nine, but I was a Fitzroy supporter. So mm. there wasn't too many highlights, but you know, I loved Ruzi and Mickey Conlon, but my first game, and I think it was at Princess Park, Rossi Lyon took an absolute scream and it was right in front of me. And yeah. um, so that's sort of one of my first memories of, of football, you know, Bernie Quinlan kicking a hundred, but Rossi Lyon, um, s- some supporters from way back will remember. I remember spe- oh, you, I remember the mark. It- who it was, was it against Essendon? I can't remember. My memory is it was against Hawthorne, Hawthorne. but I, but I could be wrong. It was a it was a super grab. Now he talks about himself as a bit of a um, thug. A, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bit thug. of a basic yep. footballer. But yeah. he no, was, he wasn't. No, he no. was highly skilled, and oh. I know. Well, Ruzi's very close with him, but Ruzi tells some great stories. But he's um, he was highly rated as a footballer. He, at that, he that came club. off the back of the square as well as anybody. <laughs> Ross Lyon. He was the master. Yeah, and you could do that back in those days. Yeah, actually used to, we around. used to have a training drill under Wolsey when I first started. It was no. like a handball square. And it was somebody's role to run in off the side and just pick people off. And you, and you had to have your, like, your, so you're doing the handball game and you're looking for, like, a Dion yeah. Scott coming through just trying yeah. not to get killed. Fortunately, fortunately, footy's changed, I reckon. It's not the drill. It's, I think it's changed. It's changing for the better. Uh, there's a heap to get through. Uh, we've got to look forward, look back to Thursday night and uh, touch base on St Kilda and see exactly where they're at. I'll have a chat about the Tigers as well. All of that for Furphy Refreshing Ale. Unbelievable. You're listening to Crunch Time. Great to have you with us this Saturday afternoon. Andy Mark, Craig Jennings, Justin Lepich and Sam Edmund filling in for Jared Waitley, who I think will be back next week. Gee, is he back next week? I, think, I believe so. I think he feels like he's been out, been away for weeks. Don't poke the bear. May I say you've been doing a wonderful job uh, in his absence uh, between 9 and 12. Well, thank you, Andrew. Nice I've work indeed. It. Very nice. Uh, there's a heap that we've already covered. Spoken to Liam Duggan about the West Coast Eagles. Uh, we've had a fair bit of a chat about the Pies and their situation. If you've missed any of that, sen.com.au is a place to go and get full um, podcast uh, of the program once it's done and dusted. Craig, we gave you a bit of homework. Mm. Um, we're into the fifth round of the season now, so we've got we've got we've seen enough footy to know whether under the new world order uh, we're starting to see any identifiable trends. Um, and I asked you if there were three that you could identify. Have you found three? Yeah, I wanted to start with a really obvious one, which is the best rule I think ever been brought into the, the game, and that's the standing rule. But to extrapolate it a little bit and, and talk about how it's changed the look of the game. So if we think about the standing rule, it's now much easier to make a 20 or 30 metre kick and work the ball up the ground. Uh, and so what that looks like is in the past, if you were, uh, say, 90 metres from goal, you might actually launch inside 50 from there. And if you think about a high ball going into your forward 50, it probably lands 30 metres from goal and it brings interceptors and so forth into the game. Or the ball spills in a pack mark situation and you get your crummers onto the footy. 
But now with the standing rule, you can actually work the ball up to about 55 metres before you launch inside 50. So it gives you a much better kick mm. inside 50. And it's something that all clubs try to do every single year, but but now it's pretty much gifted to you. And what I think is it's really changed the look of the game in terms of if you're at 55, you can now hit up a lead inside 50 much easier. And I think it's had the biggest impact on St Kilda in a negative way. So we spoke earlier about St Kilda finishing that fifth to eight spot. So they're most, or they're one of the teams at risk of falling out. So if you think about St Kilda at their best last year, and I'm a big St Kilda supporter, so I've got no stress. I think they'll work this out. But what you saw with St Kilda a lot, they'd bomb to the top of the square, they would compete, and you saw all those pressure. It was that Richmond model, in Mm. essence, and they'd crumb and they'd get goals really close to goal. But what they need to find now is some marks on lead. So you're talking about King, and then when he marks them, he needs to improve some accuracy and memory and so forth. But I feel like in the first three rounds, they were playing um, 20-20 footy. And now they need to be able to adjust and, and launch inside 50 from 55, but find some marks on lead. So I think they've been most affected in a negative way. And can, the, I, yeah. can I just ask one question on that? Does it make defences have to defend more of the ground? Because you can kick goals. The, the lead-up stuff you're talking about makes total sense. But also now 55 out is with the ability to sort of arc around the man on the mark. It's become a more reliable position to kick or certainly have a shot from. Does it mean defences have to have to stretch a bit higher up the ground? Well, I think it means they've got to be more corridor biased too with their defence. So you'll see more midfielders getting back in the lead lanes than what they used to because they have, they have to now. We would have seen – everyone remembers the Carlton Collingwood game from a few weeks ago oh, where terrible, yeah. they, they just literally walked their way through a yep. poor Lockie Plowman at the end of the chain. Uh, everyone's seen the game. Well, we've got to have put people in the lead lane as well. So you'll see defenders starting in front or and, and the ruckman. So you see Toby Nankurve is always going back to support. It'll allow a defender to play in front in the lead lane. So teams are defending the lead lane a lot more, whether it be their own direct opponent or with a midfielder sliding back into that central, central part of the mm. game. And you make a great point because the game uh, always adjusts about every seven weeks. So what you're getting away with for a period of time, the opposition usually work it out, and we're already seeing the effects of that at the moment. So sh- should we go on to number yeah, two? Yeah, number two, absolutely. So number two is, is uh, I guess, a trend that I'm not seeing enough of. Now, kick-ins. So my bugbear is that you should never get scored against on a kick-in at the moment. So in the past, the reason why this rule has come in is that um, the team defending a kick-in was the team most likely to score. And so every time a team I worked at kicked a point, I would tell them um, not to stress about it. it was going to be a seven-point play that we're going to win it back. Now, what we're seeing now is that you're gifted an opportunity to run out the 20-odd metres and kick it halfway. Now, to extrapolate that in 2010, Collingwood win a premiership off a model in part on their kick-ins. If they get it halfway, that's a win. Okay, and what we're seeing now is teams kicking in short, but they're only kicking into the space where they could already run. So what I'd like to see more of, and there's teams doing it really well at the moment, Sydney for one, uh, Melbourne's another one. The team that's doing it really poorly that we talked about earlier is Brisbane. Um, So that just says to me that they didn't do their planning on kicking. So every kicking that you watch for your team, you should never get scored going back the other way. You don't want to see them go short. You want the ball to land halfway at a minimum. And Lepa, you'll attest to this. You can press a button at the footy club and watch every single kick-in goal. So if you don't know how to come up with a good kick-in strategy and you can just tab all the way through every goal that's been kicked in from kick-ins, 
find the ones that look good and replicate them. So what I want to see going forward is no scores against from kick-ins and teams scoring more from kick-ins because it's an absolute gift. Yeah, and look, without boring people to death, you're a 10% chance to score from a kick-in, but if you get get it to the, you know, kick it long to that part of the ground, if you lose it, they're 33% to come back the other way. Yeah. So, that, so that's why it should be a defensive, almost a defensive type kick because on, the numbers will basically tell you the chance you're going all the way is really low. There's a bigger chance of it coming back, in, back the other way. So teams that have an overly aggressive kick-in strategy can often lead to more scores back the other way. So those saying bring back the torp. Bring it back. Well, well or not. Being, you get it. imagine Dustin Fletcher with a 15-metre yeah. man on the mark unleashing a tour, but it go beyond up. Yeah, but what Craig's saying is that now you get that yeah. extra 10 metres, it gets through to the end of the front half of your ground, so it's actually a better mm. benefit than just so, basically instead of sitting in your half-back flank, it's probably sitting closer to the wing to half-forward flank if you've, with this new kick-in rule, is the so AFL, it's actually been helpful. Is the AFL given that kicker... When he does saunter off, are they giving him a bit more latitude than you might if you were elsewhere in the field, do you I, reckon? I absolutely think that. Yeah. I think that uh, it's a gift. And, and Stephen Hawking, I, he is highly intelligent. And, and I remember a few years ago at Melbourne saying, we need to think about the future. This game is really going to open up because if you listen to Stephen Hawking, it was pretty clearly he's trying to take coaching out of the game and have players play on more instinct and lengthen the game to create more, not even more scoring, but more up and down plays and and uh, so clearly to me, there's a directive that yep. the guy kicking in, let him go as far as he needs to. And number three? Yeah, so uh, I'm really strong on this. And, and um, how you start a game, a fast start, is something that I think you need a formula for. So everyone from the time you're a junior here, let's hit, you know, let's hit them hard early and so forth. But oh, what, what does that look like? I wanted a formula uh, for what it looked like for my teams when they got off to a fast start. Now, I also think that if you can win close games – that's the difference between finishing fourth and fifth or eighth and ninth. Just that ability to close a game. So I was really big on that you train those scenarios all the time. But what I see now is that when you're in front, it's very difficult to hold a lead because all the levers for closing out a game late have been taken away. So you've got your 6-6-6 rule. You've got the kicking rule. So it's much easier to move from D50 to inside 50 for the opposition trying to mm-hmm. catch up. There's less stoppages. So when you're in front, you're trying to create more stoppages. There's that deliberate out-of-bounds rule, so you can't play the boundary as much as you used to. Now, what I would like to see more of, and I'm really strong on this, that in the last five minutes of a game, whether your philosophy is to tag or not to tag, that you shut down the opposition's X factors. So um, let's say Lockie Neal is a player that you tag in a game. But with five minutes to go, I would drop that tag and I'm going to Zorko and Rich because they're the ones that win the game. Going back against Port Adelaide a long time ago when Essendon played them, we tagged Boak all day. But with five minutes to go of a close game, go to Gray. So certain players in a team are taggable for the game because they accumulate yeah, and they yeah. have an impact. But there's always those X-factor match winners. And what I've seen this year is that Daniel Rich against Collingwood, yep. so they really blew that lead. But all they needed was that mindset from the coach's box or in their pre-planning that if we're in front with a minute or two to go, we're going to Rich and we're going to Zorko. If anyone else beats us, so be it. But what you saw was Rich in total space. Now, Brisbane don't win if he doesn't kick inside 50. And then we saw um, Gray a week ago, clutch player. So what I'd like to see is that in close games – that with all the levers taken away, let's have a philosophy that in the last five minutes, you want to see your team shut down the opposition's best player so that you can hold that lead. It's really interesting stuff. Oh, the the injury numbers, so this is a bit of an extension of um, all of that and the modern game. The, the injury numbers, Sam, I don't know whether you've got them in front of you, but 
there's 99 players at the moment who are listed injured. Um, of that 99, going into round five, 70 there or thereabouts aren't going to be back within four weeks. So, so there's long, a lot of long-term injured players out there. The way the game's being played, do you think there will be a moderation? Because the AFL's not – they're not stopping this. If anything, there's going to be down the track that 75 will become – 60 or 50 down the track. They're not going back to 100, 120. This is what we've got now. And they're going to keep duration of court. I think they're happy with where it's at at the moment. What are the chances, and you two have both been part of um, coaching setups, what are the chances of coaches actually asking, if you are a believer that the stress of the game is creating injury, what are the chances of coaches asking less of their players in terms of redlining it, running hard, shuttle running up and back, total team defence, all of that stuff. Is there a chance? Can you sort of look into your crystal ball and see a day where we have 15 players playing 100% of game time? We've got four forwards and four defenders who don't come off the ground because we, we've got 75 rotations that need to be used for the blokes who are doing the bulk of the arc-to-arc mm. running, if you like. It's getting sort of that way anyway. We normally have two or three that sort of don't get a lot of game time, but they have the hundred close enough to 100%. Anyway, my fear of that is the coaches won't stop the redlining, but they'll have more moments where they might say, okay, we're going to rest on the field as far as kicking yep. the ball around, not move a lot, take the heat out of that. So take the heat out of the game strategy will be more. So they'll, they'll probably bring in more, okay, we've we've redlined it for a bit. We're, we're, on, you know, we're off the bit a little bit. Okay, and they'll have a strategy for own the ball own the ball, and then that gets to a game that we don't like. So this yep. is where the AFL have to be careful that they might think they're being clever at times in bringing a strategy, but in fact it might be counterproductive. So as long as they do, and we spoke to Steve Hocking last week, so he's on the ball with what needs to happen, but sometimes they're not sure of what will be the second or third domino in that chain. So uh, if they could start to talk to coaches, interview coaches, so what would you do if this happened? And if they gave that answer, then you'd start to think, well, that's not an answer I want to hear. Yeah. I don't want to hear that for five minutes a quarter, you're going to start kicking the ball around and then you kick it long and the other team do the same. Mm. That's not a good look. Yeah, I think you've answered that perfectly. And um, one of my great loves of football is seeing where the game's heading and what you need to do next, whether that's in a week's time or two years' time. And so there's real risks um, in what you're talking about that teams can also just flood. Um, now, there's always that conversation around should the AFL speak with coaches now, if a coach answers off the cuff, they might not have thought it through deeply. So there's always somebody at that football club that usually has a responsibility around strategy. Mm. They're the, the person that not only just knows their team, but they know all 18 yep, teams, yep. all the insights. And so they're more the type of people you want to speak to because they're usually thinking uh, – they're extrapolating. So if this rule happens, then this will happen, and, and the byproduct of that is A, B, and C. Mm. Um, but I think the, the risk is the slow play that you're saying, Leper, and also the easiest way to defend, if it's a defence-first football competition, is just to get 18 players into defence and hang on. But how mm. big of an asterisk or an alibi is the late finish to last year. I mean, do we not need to say, I oh know the injuries and I don't have last year's in yep. front, but yep. speaking to a couple of clubs this morning that they say this, they can't believe this story hasn't been told yet. The injuries upon injuries upon injuries and how much more they had last year and the year before, but surely there's an alibi in the, the condensed nature of the preseason. Possibly. Plus jump yep. back to full minutes. Yep. Possibly. Yeah, I, I just think for, for everyone out there, you can understand if you if you're used to running 20 minutes a morning, then all of a sudden one day yeah. you wake up and take it to 30, there's a fair chance the following day you're going to be sore. So, but once you get through that barrier and you're running 30 minutes all the time, it becomes, and then it's at 40 minutes you become sore. So the players are getting used to 
all of this change again. So mm. there's a big a, a big part of it is this always happens when major change happens. So this is why coaches often say stop changing the rules because <laughs> there is an adaptation for players to with their bodies as well to get through this. You just reminded me, Leper, that high performance is not just about the coach. And so the coach wears everything in terms of the pressure. And we've been talking about Nathan Buckley. But in this scenario, you're really relying on your high-performance people. So I'm talking about high performance in terms of your footy manager and, and all your assistant coaches and the coach. But in, in this instance, you're really relying on your fitness staff and your medical staff yeah. to ensure yep. that uh, you have a really positive season. Yep. Um, Stephen Wells, just changing tack. Uh, mm. it, it's a significant story. He's been such an architect of Geelong's sustained period of excellence and the continuation of you know, one – list building into the next and he's been highly regarded in this industry for a long time. It was an annual question, wasn't it? And he wins the statue going up of yeah. Stephen Wells. He's been there since 1984. So he's not coming back is my mail. I mean, there's a lot said throughout the week. He could, he's taken a step back. He might come back in a lesser role. My understanding is he's not coming back. He, there's an element of the guy's been there since, as I say, 1984. It's a long time at the, at the yep. grind, isn't it? Plus COVID, the layer of COVID on top of it, the football cuts to the to the footy departments and such. Performing dual roles as well, it must be said, for years before COVID even hit, that of list manager and recruiter. <laughs> he appears to have just made the call that enough is enough. Now, there's a probably there's a bit happening behind the scenes. There's some murmurings about list management decisions. He's probably going to get, and Leper and Craig can speak to this, these sort of issues at all clubs. You know, what the coach might want to do compared to what the list manager and the recruiters might want to do. That's an ongoing feast, I know, but... He's been at it for a long time. That's a massive loss. His phone, I'm sure, will be ringing off oh, the hook. Yeah. But oh, yeah. my understanding is that, that that's it for Stephen Wells. And when you go back and have a look at, sure, there's misses, but the hits, and not just the recruiting hits, but the big-time recruiting, Paddy Dangerfield, yep. you yep. Know, uh, Jeremy Cameron he brought in, and, and the list goes on and on and on. It's been a marvellous run for him for a long period. So, so you, you, are, you, you make the point in there that – having shared vision and, and everyone being on the one page within a, within a footy department and the list manager and the recruiting manager and the coaches are, are fundamental to the smooth operation and the future build being successful. Have you guys seen this not necessarily being the case much in your time in footy where there has been significant differences in opinion on which is the best way to go? Look, there's a tug of war in every footy club. Like, <laughs> this is why you have groups of boards of eight or nine people. If you had one person deciding, it's a dictatorship. So you have eight people to decide and come together, and there will be difference of opinion. Uh, Sam and I had one just recently. Of course, got very was, upset, yeah, as we might frosty. remember. Yeah, very frosty. frosty for all We're okay now, though. Yep, good. Shots <laughs> fired. <laughs> but, but um, so, yeah, are you telling me, of course, I had times when I coached where you have people around, I want to do this, I want to do that. But this is why it's so important. This is where the – I mean, football clubs now have a, a board member that's involved in the football. Sometimes I'm not sure what board members do per se, and some of them have individual roles. But I would have thought the job of the football director at a football club is if Stephen Wells has a direction – I'm just using them as yep, names and, – yep, yep. and Chris Scott as a name, as what got his direction. And, you know, it's like, well, what's our plan? When's our premiership window? When, what are we – and they've got, they've got all these metrics behind where they want to be. And the agents, sometimes you can muck it up because you can just have a bad pick too. So it is an evolving thing. It's not something you have to sit on the wall and never change again. But that's where the footy director has to say, sorry, Chris, I think we need to go with draft picks this year. Yep, yep. Yeah, or, or, or sorry, Stephen, we're, we're going to actually pick up Jeremy Cameron and give away a couple of picks. So that's so then you walk away and you, you walk away united. You win some battles, you lose some battles, but you walk away united and move on. So I think the best footy clubs do it that way. 
It's it's pivotal that you get it right, isn't it, Craig? Yeah, it's yeah. absolutely particularly if you if you if you're somebody like Steve Miles, just using them as an example, and you've spent a lot of draft capital building the 2021 list, and, and if you know that 21 national draft, 22 national draft, 23 national draft are going to be fruitful, if you do, if if that's okay, just using the here and now as an example, if you fight hard to hang on to draft picks, but it, that that has taken away from you because of the here and now. Bring in veterans, bring in costly players like a Jeremy Cameron. Um, that can take you out of what you know is going to be a very fertile um, draft pool that is going to be important mm. for the next for the next part of your club's sustained success. That, that that's that, that's a very important. Decision, I would imagine, for everybody at a footy club to be on the same page. Yeah, when you're talking there and Leper, I just keep thinking of Bill Belichick, just do your job. So it feels to me that you've got a list manager. You need to let them get on the job, on with the job, and the coach's job is to coach. But having worked at four clubs, and I spoke on, we spoke on Thursday night, Sam, they've all got the same values and trademarks, but the cultures are very different. And also, depending on whether the club's winning or losing or the life cycle of the senior coach, power shifts in terms of who's got the most influence within that football club as well. So I'm sure that there's a little bit of that happening at Geelong and that's where you need a really strong footy manager. So, you know, when we're talking about Nathan Buckley, to me or or any club, I always look, well, who's the footy manager? Because uh, high performance is about having a strong senior coach, a strong football manager. You want a strong CEO, a, a, a great list manager and a great fitness coach. So all these things go into making a great premiership model. And um, to, so it feels like, you know, they're a little bit off the page at Geelong, which is interesting because they're the one club of any that have been able to, you know, every club says we're setting up for sustained success. Well, they're actually the proof of it. I know they haven't won every single premiership in the last 10 years, but they won three in pretty quick succession under two coaches. And and Chris Scott has them firing uh, or in the mix every single year. Just on that point, one thing you don't know. So let's go back to the Jeremy Cameron example. So the game itself, the actual ability to match a bid. So, if you're the list manager, you're like, okay, I'll get Jeremy Cameron. That's good because I've also got three first-round draft picks. But so you go hard to recruit him. So you say, yep, come to us. We love you. We want to bring you in. And then all of a sudden, the bid's matched. And you say, no, 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 I want my picks as well. Mm. And then they can't now renege. Stephen Wells can't go, sorry, Jeremy, no, 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 I want my picks first. You, you can't do both. You can't love and bring someone in and, mm. and sell them and also run the risk of losing your picks and then decide at the end, oh, no, I'm keeping my big picks, you can go go away. Because that, then that leaves a really bad vibe with the managers. And then well, if you get a manager upside, well, well, you could lose about seven players. <laughs> you know. Well, it's true because they, they manage maybe six or seven others. So, <laughs> you know, and and, and also potentially, let's say the next year, the, the, the Jeremy Cameron's management, you want to hit another one of theirs. Well, well, hang on, last year you burnt yeah. Jeremy. There's no way we're getting you're getting this guy mm-hmm. now. So all those things, or any issue, like not issues, but things you got to deal with in the background. And they've just gone so aggressively down that path, haven't they? So it's Higgins. It's the the big price to pay for Cameron. It's Jack Stephen in yep. years gone by that hasn't worked as well. So you do wonder, without generalising, the coach probably wants things yesterday, and the recruiter or list manager has always got an eye to the future. And you wonder how closely they, mm. they are aligned in that wrestle. It's yeah, get it right. I, I don't know all this the story, but I know Stephen Wells is so highly respected in footy circles for the way he goes about it. You know, guys like Jason McCartney, the way they conduct themselves is is absolutely first class. What I would say, and, and Leppy, you've brought this up uh, a few weeks ago on Crunch Time, that 
you have a three or four life, uh, three or four year lifespan in the one job in football before you find it really challenging. And I know my last year at Melbourne was my fourth, and I got to round four, and I thought I'm in a bit of trouble here because I don't know how to do this job any better or any differently or to make it more interesting or, you know, I'd given them all my ideas and for somebody to do the same job like Wellesie has for so long, you know, maybe, you know, that's part of the the challenge for him finding, well, finding a, a new challenge or a different way of doing things the same. Like I'm happier than I've ever been because I'm doing different things now using different skill sets. But when you're in the grind of footy all day, every day, it's hard to think outside the bubble. And just on that, potential politics aside here for a moment, the other recruiters I've spoken to say that Wellesley just probably doesn't get to the amount of games that he used to get to. National championships, yes. Yep. But it's been a while since he's been to the, the other under-18s games. He's not seen it as many games. So, look, perhaps it just gets back to the fact the guy's just had enough, which You've is understandable. Absolutely. Mm. Totally understandable. No question about that. Um, St Kilda, they're obviously um, a significant issue as we sit here with a couple of games already played in, in round five. What We've got to get to a break in a few minutes, but spend three minutes on what what you take away from the, the Essendon and the Richmond losses. The fact that they have been totally pulverised. Uh, certainly most people would have thought they could handle Essendon. Um, Richmond looked like they broke St Kilda's spirit a bit the other night. St Kilda looked like a team that had run out of um, an idea of how best to compete, Yeah, which which is a, it's not a good thing to see yeah, at this so, level. So I feel very secure in terms of Brett Ratton and the way he goes about it. I think he's an outstanding coach. Uh, his press conferences are first class. Yep. But this is about a coaching team. So you have David Rath there as well as uh, head of the football program. So it's not just on Brett Ratton. But my expectations of St Kilda going forward are pretty high, but not so much this year. So every year you have to start again. And I think they were probably pretty comfortable. Um, they finished fifth to eighth, which we spoke about, yep. puts them at risk. And what I see with St Kilda or thought about going in, and I spoke with Jared about this a few weeks ago, is the law of diminishing returns. So they've come in with all that Hawthorne intel. And I've seen it work. I saw Luke Beveridge bring it into the Bulldogs. But then you've got to have, well, what's next? Because players have heard all the Hawthorne stuff and, and the knowledge there, which is just phenomenal. But you need to know what's next. And I feel like that St Kilda, in terms of their strategy and, you know, their kicks inside 50, um, you know, it's just cost them a goal here, a goal there, and then suddenly you get the performances you do. They're losing a little bit of belief. You, you talked about that in terms of the Richmond Did you game. see that in the yeah, Richmond game? Yep, yep. Absolutely. The spirit gets broken. And uh, and I think in, in one respect, the West Coast game becomes an anomaly because I, I, we spoke about this, Sam, is that I've never seen – that was the most unexpected comeback that I've seen. So I've seen comebacks, <laughs> but this was six minutes to go in the third quarter – um, and so somehow they just got some momentum and won that game. But, um, you know, I think there's enough footy IQ there for them to turn it around. I just don't have high expectations of them this year. You touch on the offensive stuff. I think their defense is okay at the moment. You know, they're getting scored against pretty high inside 50 when they do go in. And the other part, and you touched on in, uh, just a little bit of the, there's not intensity or effort or being on the ball. They had six shots against them from forward from their defensive 50. So let's mm-hmm. say, you know, stoppages. So there's a stoppage in your D50. Yep, yep. You know, there's normally you've got a plus one or a plus two at a defensive 50 stoppage. So you shouldn't, if you get one score against your game, it's pretty bad. They had six in the game, and normally you should have a plus one or plus two in that part of the game, so you should really get scored against. So for me, that's a bit of a red flag, you know, that's of a bit of effort or intensity or just the ability to switch on and just just see that, you know, if you're on 
Shea Bolton running through the stop. He's just not seeing out that that play. Yeah, I think they're getting tested by opposition in the midfield. So there's a lot more midfield space this year and teams are clearly going in with the strategy to outrun them in the midfield. You're listening to Crunch Time for the all-new Navara at Werribee, Western and Footscray Nissan. Great to have you with us this Saturday afternoon, The Crunch. For Bet with Joel, Australia's number one tipping service, gamble responsibly, 1-800-858-858. Right, let me bowl up a whole lot of stuff for you three fine gentlemen and take it wherever you want. Did we see Sean Grigg mark two the other night with Marlon Pickett doing what he did? It was. uh, and We talk about strategy and how often they, you know, it comes in and then it leaves the game for a while. This hasn't left the game for too long, has it? But you have to have a certain type of person that can play the role. And, yeah, Marlon was really good, wasn't he, at at that? He looks – he looks – he's clearly undersized, but he looks tailor-made for it. He's clearly got a good vertical lead. He knows how to stay out of – the way of opposition Ruckman's knees and elbows. He's pretty clever in the way he uses his body. But, but why? Why is Marlon good at it or why the why, strategy? Why the strategy? Well, Suddenly. Because it didn't work once. But, it's but, why, but why now? Why, why? Well, I think there's a couple of parts to it. If you've got two genuine Ruckman you think are really good and can play that role, you do that. If you don't, you might as well get an advantage somewhere else. So one thing Richmond have always done is gone, well, if we don't have the, the second Ruck, we think we can get uh, either a second forward out of, mm. you know, or play a different role. What we'll do is we'll just win the ground level battle and have an extra midfielder. So... It makes sense in a lot of ways. Why put someone out there in a row? If he's going to play second ruck and just get beaten and have no other strings to his bow, why play him? They'll play mm. someone like Marlon who can also get some advantage around the ground. I loved hearing Lepper a few weeks ago when you said you need Richmond found three or four ways to, to win and all their premierships have been won in a different way. So when you hear teams or, or people at football clubs talk about system, it feels very locked in in one way of doing things. But Richmond are highly experimental. And, and I asked you the question off air, Leper, that one of the turning points at Richmond, I think, from the outside was that when you went small in the forward line, because as the forward coach, you were happy to play a small forward line. And that created pressure and, um, and, and that sort of chaotic game that we see that Richmond is so renowned for at the moment. So their system, yes, is a chaos game, territory game, get it forward. But within that... I think we forget that Dimmer is a highly intelligent coach, has a lot of strategy. They make moves in grand finals to to turn grand finals around. So the system might be the system, but within that there's a lot of creative and strategic coaching going on. So within the Richmond system as well, and you you played in a team, Lepper, that had at various stages two or three big powerful forwards who were sharing a part of the ground together. Bob Murphy was saying the other day that he can't remember – two key forwards in Revolt and Lynch who work as well together. They never fly against one another. They seem to create and be respectful of one another's space. They'll often do the unrewarded leading to create, um, you know, a, a, a lane behind all the things that we know is part of good forward craft. How underrated is that from a, from a punter's perspective when you've got, your key forwards working so well in concert with one another. Yeah, it's two things. It, it did take them a while to get that synergy perfect, but the other part, it is a structured process as well. So one will be at the ball and one will either be on the fat side of the ground or further up the field. So it, it, they are really just playing their role in a yep. sense. Yep. Um, and you're right, because not all clubs do that. Sometimes they just plonk two keys there and say, make, make it up. So yeah. um, they, they do that part. really. And you're talking Jack is an elite leader of the competition as well. So... If you, don't, if you know Jack well, he loves to talk and he loves to talk on the field <laughs> and he loves to direct and he loves and he buys into the team and he makes sure everything's done perfectly. Mm. So 
when you've got that sort of player there as well, you're always going to have a good system in front of the ball. Yeah, when you were speaking then, Lepper, the, the, to me it speaks about the mindset of Richmond. So they are just so unselfish and all the language that comes out of that footy club is how do you make your teammate better? And uh, watching Jack Rewalt's career, like there was just, and, and even Cochin, there was just that turning point where they didn't care about how many goals or possessions they got anymore. It was about bringing it to ground, um, blocking for a teammate to get the football. And what I see in that forward line combination, Andy, is just two players that don't need to kick the goals as long as the team kicks them, and 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 they've just be able to they've been able to create that mindset. Now I watched Collingwood a few weeks ago, and they were just shaking their heads when they weren't getting the footy, um, yeah, and just yep. really selfish. So I think as a coach, you just need to be able to find that formula for players to not care about their individual game and make it about how do they help their teammates play their best game they possibly can. The conversation's been rolling, and I think it might have been you know James Brayshaw on seven during the game. Um, suggested that Shane Edwards' automatic Hall of Fame when he's eligible. Would anybody around this table suggest that he's not Hall of Fame worthy when his career's done and his time's up? Well, I think he is, but he's one of the underrated ones, you mm. know. Like, Do we still underrate him? Oh, That's Because well, Joel Selwood was mentioning so. this all night the other night when he was doing his expert. Kept, kept saying how underrated Shane Edwards is. Haven't we gone past the... Well, I, th- I think the problem with Shane is that, not the problem because he's a fantastic player, but all his best work's done in a little 10 metre area. Right, okay, yeah, and he yeah. does things, you go, did that just actually happen? Yeah, it's right. almost like a magic trick at times where, with his hands and some of his creativity. And if you watch it back again, how many players in the competition could actually pick that ball up, get through that tackler or the traffic, and see the player, by the way, whilst he's doing that, and have a successful disposal yeah. and the play moves forward? It's That's very hard All that if you package that up, and that's just what he does regularly. Mm. Well, on your point, Andy, from an opposition perspective, you put so much thought and time into Martin that – in a sense, he yeah. does become underrated, but we need a new word other than underrated because he's just so yeah, highly. Yeah. So you you know you're planning for Martin, but that Edwards is going to be a real handful. And, um, you know, you can throw guys like Bash. There's just so many good players. So when I hear Richmond winning premierships off the back of relationships, which is all true, but I also think, hang on, they're winning premierships because of the team part, but also because they've got Martin and Edwards and Hooley and all these great players in their team. Uh, you touch on earlier, Sam, the news about North Melbourne. They've got the twilight game tomorrow with uh, Luke Davies-Uniaki, looking like he might be laid out for North in that game. He might be, yeah. Calf issue for him. I think he had a court calf last week, but experienced some real soreness during the week. So, A, he's a, a young emerging player who just needs a change of luck. And, B, North Melbourne's injury list is horrendous. So... They've got all manner of players out at the moment. Just having a look at it before, it is a huge one. So you've got Jed Anderson, Aidan Cord, Trent DeMont, Luke McDonald, Jared Polek, Robbie Tarrant's not going to be back for quite some time. Josh Walker's got a hamstring, and Cameron Zerhar's obviously concussed at the moment. So here's an underbelly being exposed for a trip that we know is as daunting as there is in footy. And I reckon we're going to see an angry Geelong Sunday twilight yep. with Dangerfield yeah. back, um, you know, Gary Rowan back, and just some real venom about them. And we've seen some sides travel down that highway over the years, Andy, and come back with a real hiding. So we hope North can be competitive in you, this game. You mentioned crowds as well at the top of the show. What, what can you tell us about where we're at with well, that? Well, this ticketing trial, it's taking place at two games this weekend, Carlton and Port Adelaide and the Western Bulldogs and Gold Coast Suns. It obviously involves all fans going to those games to submit their contact details, whereas previously it was just one person on the booking, if you like, leaving their details. So this is the big test case for the uh, health department here in Victoria to see how comprehensively they can contact Trace should in the near future, hopefully, heaven forbid, this doesn't happen, we have a positive case emerge at the footy. But we won't be getting anywhere near 100,000 for Anzac Day, which right. was the big dream because 
the health department are indicating they won't make a decision until late next week. Now, as far as Anzac Day goes, MCC tickets, I think, on sale Monday, competing club members Tuesday and Wednesday. So it's going to come too late for this game to reach capacity and too late for what's probably really important for many people listening this afternoon is that members just want to be able to sit in the seat that they pay for, <laughs> yep, which yep. everyone's conscious of that makes the decisions. But ticketing is just so complex, but hopefully that comes back online in a traditional sense in the next couple of weeks. We get the Western so we've got the AFLW Grand Final after us. Then we've got Western Bulldogs. We've got two games up against one another, the Doggies and Gold Coast Sydney v GWS. What are we learn? Four weeks in, we're about to see the fifth round of it. What are we learning about the Western Bulldogs in 2021? A good team. <laughs> That's yep. the main thing. Well, what they they're getting everything on their terms at this at this point in time. They're smashing center clearance, and if they don't score off their center clearance, they're scoring pretty much straight away off their own forward fifty turnover. So that's pretty much. It's like the, the tennis players just winning their serve six loves, and, the, and there's, there's nothing really coming back over the net at, at the moment. Chip Hooper. Well, only four percent of their scores come from de- defensive fifty. That is so stark. Like you think about how many shots they've had for goal, only four percent have, and they don't haven't had the inside fifty weight of any other team in the competition. If you think about Hawthorne, where thirty two percent of their scores have to start from defensive fifty, four percent the dog four percent four percent only what? four. So they've started in that part of the, so they're not, the ball's not getting in there. They're miles in right, front okay. from inside fifties yeah. against. But if they do, they're not really transitioning from one into the other either. So it's not like they're killing it when they do get. From so it's been just. I just want to see someone in boxing terms throw a couple of punches, you know, and just to see. Just and they probably want that too. They they want to get challenged mm. one day. But the Eagles test out cha- their defence. So you're saying the stress test hasn't really. Well, I don't think it's hit their D50 yet. They've they've been adequate. You know, they're not getting. It's not like they're getting killed for per, scores mm. per entry back the other way. But it's not like it's a weighted numbers. Like I remember the worst games of defender where it's coming in a lot. You're fatigued. You're tired, and just the weighted numbers breaks you down. They probably haven't had that yep. that full test yet. Um, but that'll come as the year go on. But that's again, they're a brilliant team and they're smashing and they're actually they're actually playing too well. It's almost like they should go up a division at the moment. It is it is as um, I don't want to say as good a midfield as we've ever seen because we've seen some pretty good midfields. But in terms of the depth that they have, and now they've got the Ruckman, who's a real comer. Like he's going to be pretty special, I think we all. And they've got the second string now, and they're going to, they're going to, mm. you know, we've got the Sweet gets his chance at it today. Um, they have got an, they've got a, an embarrassment of riches, haven't they, through the middle part of the ground, only added to by the, um, the acquisition of Adam Trelaw. I just think Luke Beveridge is so smart. So he adjusts his game plan based on what his needs are. So all those numbers that you went through then, Leper, he's really protecting his defender. So you're saying someone throw a punch and see what they've got down there. But he's created a game style around his strengths, which is that um, midfield ability to get it in their front half. But, you know, an insight, you were talking about the Richmond Ruck stuff. I remember in 2015 working alongside Bevo. He comes into match committee. We're up against Santa Lance and Fremantle were a good team then. And he said, we're going to play without a Ruckman. And I, that was the most insane thing I'd ever heard. He goes, well, we're not going to win the hitouts anyway, so we may as well have another player at hmm. ground level. And I always thought, he's coaching this team like he's still coaching in the amateurs, but it actually works. And I also think that uh, if they ever ban technology on match day and it's just coach versus coach and you just have two coaches in the coach, you know, uh, the senior coach and a strategy coach in the coach's box, Beveridge is winning every premiership because – his match day stuff and his creativity is just off the charts. That's a big call. Yeah, it is. Now he's, um, I'll be really fortunate. In three years, I worked with three premiership coaches. I went uh, Bomber, Bevo, and Ruzi. And you can, it made me realize you can win a premiership 
a lot of different ways. They were all completely different, uh, and I took I learnt so much from them. Um, but Bevo's um, the belief he gives the players for yeah, one, yeah. but it's his creativity and his thinking and his boldness is just um, really awesome, and he creates these themes that players really buy into. So, um, you know, they won that premiership early, but I see them a little bit like Hawthorne. There's there's more to come. Just one last one on that. It, it is on game, but if there was that scenario that you've outlined there, no mm. technology, can can games still be altered significantly by moving the yeah. pieces around on game day? I, I'm strong on this. So when I hear a coach say that you can't influence match day, I always think, well, they're just not a good match day coach, so right. they should get a good strategy coach alongside them. I see there's little moves and numbers games that you can play all day long. Now, if you're three goals behind, then you need to make a move and, and probably throw speed at the problem area if you're, if you're not able to move the ball from the back half. Put some speed there to, to break the lines. If you're getting beaten in the centre bounce, put some speed in there and, and that just breaks the opposition's connection. If you're five goals down, make a sheedy move. You're probably not going to win, so yep. throw something around. But I remember walking down at, the, at Melbourne, we were 10 goals up against the Bulldogs and I was obviously carrying on a little bit in the coach's box and Goody said, Is, are we far, in, far enough in front yet? And I said, I don't think so, no, not no, against right. Bevo. Yep, and, yep. and that's the kind of power he has in, in my mind. Because wow. I saw it firsthand uh, how, how good he was as a coach. Fascinating stuff. That was the crunch for Bet with Joel. Transparent results driven sports tips. Gamble responsibly. 1-800-858-858. Wow. Well, well, well. For the Harley Heaven River, <clears throat> for Harley Heaven, the home of Harley Davidson, the bloke who said, he didn't put his name to it, but the bloke who sent in that earlier text. He needs a rever. He needs a big rev. He's saying that listening to Leper is like listening to Kenny G. Please. Leper's not Kenny G. Leper is James Morrison. <laughs> An artiste. Thank you. And somebody else responded to the earlier text message from the unnamed author mm. about you and Kenny, Kenny G being yeah. one another. And another person wrote in saying, Kenny G is widely disrespected by musicians <laughs> as a musician. He played the soprano saxophone badly. Bad songs, bad playing. He's the McDonald's of musicians. Nothing wrong with that, as every now and again. Unlike Kenny, Leper is brilliant, writes somebody else. So, uh, there you go. There you go. I'm just a for you. I'm, maybe, I'm still a pretend radio person. <laughs> what, do we, what do we call ourselves? What is it? Probably most of all. It's Who's his, that? Well, it's his former colleague at Punt Road. I think, uh, I think he's been very, he's been, they've been impressed, haven't they? I don't know. Which, for, which, stuff which former <laughs> colleague are you talking about? Oh, I think some of the people at Richmond have been very oh, impressed with Leper. Uh, is the feedback uh, I've been getting. Is that right? Taken to it seamlessly. Oh, look, I, I just take it in my stride. It was hilarious last week. I was. I wish I'd have been in the room with you last week. I was down at Geelong, uh, down at Ballarat when you were in the studio, but they were peppering you with questions. It was like you were, you were actually the guest on the show. And hang on. And he, him and Del Santo were peppering with your question, questions about Richmond. Oh, you handle them. You handle them, Maggie. Yeah, Sam just uses me as his Richmond clickbait at the moment. <laughs> smashing me with all. Why smashing. Are, why are they playing Riley Collier Dawkins? I asked him one question why about Riley Collier Dawkins. So we still uh, haven't seen Andy. Am I the only one who thinks that's a little well, I just wanted a bit of clarity. No, it is. It is. What's happening? Well, to Sam, no, I don't work for Richmond anymore. I'm actually not in match committee. I've got no idea what to do. I've got a couple of other quick ones for you before. We've only got a couple of minutes to go here. Mitch McGovern's back in today. Big money recruit, showed a lot of Adelaide in, in, you know, in fleeting glimpses here and there. This is another reboot of Mitch McGovern's career. What does he have to, what does he have to do? What does he have to become to be a valuable 
commodity. I think sometimes players, the highly talented players that can take a mark and can do some brilliant things forget what people respect the most is the hardworking stuff. It's turning up from nine to five. It's doing the basics well. And I'd say that to Mitch in his game is just compete, bring the ball to ground, tackle where you need to, make some second, third efforts, which we've seen Jake Stringer almost bring into his game this year and been really impressed. And that's almost... You know, there's, there's admiration for your game and there's respect in your game. I think we all admire the way he plays and what he can do, but I think just the next level is just do the basics well, do the team yeah, stuff well. Yeah, yeah, that uh, makes sense. Yeah. Liam Duggan, I spoke about Oscar Allard and the way he was marking and launching at the ball, and the first thing he said, we liked his tackle. So mm. it's exactly to your point, Lepper. Um, ben Brown, speculation or suggestions that when Ben Brown's ready to go, he doesn't come straight back in. Should Ben Brown be the type of forward that is the lead-up forward with the way that you're talking about balls coming inside forward 50 now, and you're opening, talking about the forwards earlier, should Ben Brown be a significant beneficiary of football 2021? Well, he should be, and, and I was surprised that um, he went so cheaply in a sense. Um, what happened to him at North Melbourne was the fact that he teams were putting so much time into him because, for me, he was the difference between whether they won or lost. So he went out of form in that last season, but his attributes as a forward are, are just enormous. So, you know, I think Melbourne, I, I love everything about them this year. Um, don't change a winning formula. You bring him back through the reserves, but as soon as that spot opens up and you've got selection pressure, so it's it's all on the up and up, but he, uh, on paper, is definitely a beneficiary of the new rules. It's a classic four zip versus zip four answer, isn't it? Four yeah. zip, no, nah, no, nah, bring him back, bring <laughs> yeah. him back through the twos. Zip and four is like, get him back. <laughs> hey, don't forget to give the boys calling the AFLW Grand Final, which is uh, where we're going next to call on the open line, one three hundred seven three six seven three six for Southern Southern Phone. Amazing new mobile SIM deals from Southern Phone. You know the two coaches, Adelaide Brisbane, two of the great um, establishment powerhouse of AFLW since its inception five years ago. You know the two coaches, Matthew Clark and Craig Starsevich, pretty well. Lepa, who wins the battle of wits out of those two Ooh, today? That's a good one, and they'd be good mates too. They because are good they, mates, you yeah. know, Craig was the fitness guy through our premiership era. Very underrated that, you know, he was elite in that area in the fitness department and then sort of left that industry altogether to go to coaching. But I think he's done well with what he's got, Craig Starsevich. One thing, Stars, and I've watched them play a fair bit, the Lions girls, he does it really well. They slide spares behind the footy, which is a bit different to most. What most girls do in the modern day, and he, he really clogs it, clogs the game up, and has a low-scoring game. So yep. if you can do that with Adelaide, who are probably a high-powered offense team, um, he'd be doing well. Nick Revolt says that he, if he was going to miss a grand final for the twelve-day mandatory, he'd take it to the Supreme Court. Chelsea Randall, on the other hand, takes a complete. She is in the middle of this story. She takes a very different view. Uh, have you been impressed, Sam, by the the way? Chelsea Randall's handled herself this week? 100%. Yeah. And when you hear her story, geez, it's, it's a haunting story, mm. so you can understand where she's coming from completely. Those, those comments, I'm not going to shoot them down from Nick Rewald, but they jarred is probably the best yeah. way to put it. Mm. I think it surprised a few people. So the AFL won't be happy with seeing a couple of Collingwood players grabbing their phones uh, during the game last night. I don't think they'll be terribly happy about Nick's comments either on 360 during the week. Uh, we're just about done here. Off to the AFLW Grand Final after this and then a massive afternoon and evening and in night, of course, of footy here right across the airwaves of uh, SEN. It's been great to have your company here on... G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game. KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Crunch time. All thanks to the Werribee, Western and Footscray Nissan dealership stocking the all-new Nissan Navara. Built tough.